Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Welcome again to Worship with Garfield Memorial Church. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Scott Blevins. I'm part of the pastoral team here at Garfield. I'm so glad to be preaching on the Sunday that we're announcing the uh, Kids Can Thrive ARC Relief Fund. Um, I know Melissa Thompson and uh, uh, Malika Bussey personally um, and, and many others within the school district. And I can tell you, South Euclid is a Lindhurst, South Euclid Lindhurst is a wonderful school district. Uh, it's been a privilege to be a part of that. Uh, the the, the leadership and the teachers there, also professional. When you go into the buildings over there, uh, the, the, the students are respectful, and it's a wonderful, wonderful place to be in school. South Euclid Lindhurst is, is not the hood, but there are great needs there. Pastor Chip shared that. Melissa and Malika shared that. And, um, uh, and, and I, I got to tell you, with our kids club that we do, and it's been suspended here, face-to-face stuff uh, due to the pandemic, but we, we connect with a lot of kids from the South Udalinger School District, and just a few weeks ago, um, I learned that one of our kids clubbers had been shot and killed, uh, not in South Euclid or Lyndhurst, but uh, in another part of uh, the city, and, and it's, it's, the need is there. It's real. I'm so glad we're in ministry in those communities, and I'm so glad to be part of this mission and this ministry with the church. Um, uh, it might seem strange to hear something like that coming from someone dressed like this, but it is ugly sweater day. Um, I added the hat because even though I made loud boasts at our last after party in November that I was going to win the, it's not a competition, but I was going to win the ugly sweater contest, it's not even going to be close. I'm, I'm so far behind. Even by adding the hat, I'm still so far behind. Um, We did actually, uh, I I do want to announce in a separate but related note, um, our very own Pastor Terry McHugh made an amazing archaeological discovery uh, recently. She took an overnight trip to Israel and actually unearthed the original coat of many colors from Joseph. We have a picture of that right here. Um, uh, If you want to see that live and in person, come to the after party today. Who knew that the coat of many colors was actually an ugly sweater. Uh, Go figure. So I'm going to get rid of this because you don't need to have your head hurting that much during the message by looking at that. We are continuing our series, Church at Home for the Holidays, with a focus again, the second of a three-week focus on, on one of the names of Jesus, Emmanuel, which means literally God with us. Last week, Pastor Terry helped us see how God is with us in surrender. This week, we're looking at how God is with us in suffering. And I'm talking about a lot more suffering than just looking at this for the next 30 minutes or so here. Suffering is a reality that as followers of Jesus, we cannot escape. 
and we should not try to escape. Suffering's not a popular topic in 21st century USA. It's something that, that our culture says we should avoid at all costs. I, I'll make this challenge, and we have several challenges for you here today. As you watch advertising, whether it's on television or movies or uh, uh, read it in print, watch it on your phone, look at the advertising and see how 99% of the products and services being sold to you are being sold with some sort of promise that they will reduce or eliminate suffering in your life. Our culture, our economy, and our politics are built around we must avoid suffering at all costs. Jesus had something quite the opposite to say about suffering. Jesus said that suffering would not be the exception for his followers, it would be the rule. That suffering was the mark of whether we were following Jesus. Um, It's not a negative for Jesus. And and Jesus wasn't a masochist. He wasn't like, ooh, let's suffer and enjoy it. He was like, it's going to be a reality. We are strangers in a strange land. We are, we are, we are sojourners here and we're going to suffer. And, and if you just a brief cursory look through the New Testament, you'll find over 30 verses, over 30 passages, more than 40 verses. I didn't include all of them. I can't list them all here today for time purposes, but Pastor Kurt and others are going to post in the comments a document you can link to that will show you a whole bunch of those. Not even all of them, but at least 37 different passages about suffering and that we should expect suffering. I'm going to give you just a few of those right here. Luke 14, 27, Jesus said, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We cannot be a follower of Jesus if we're not going to suffer. And here's something interesting. That statement that Jesus made is quoted at least six times in one form or another across three gospels. I got to tell you, it occurred to me just a few minutes ago, I can't tell you anything else that's told to us six times, quoted six times in the gospels. And that repetition is for emphasis. It's real, it's important. Jesus also said this, before all this, he was talking to his followers about what they would experience as his followers. They will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death. The disciples took this so seriously that after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven and they started proclaiming salvation through Jesus Christ and they began to experience that suffering and that persecution that Jesus was talking about. And Acts chapter 40, we're told this, and this happened, well, a few of the disciples have been arrested. They called the apostles and had them flogged, beaten with whips. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. And the apostles left there rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for Jesus' name. They'd been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Peter himself, who was one of the people that was flogged, had this to say in his letter later on. Beloved, he was writing to other followers who were experiencing suffering. Do not be, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice 
grace insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. Suffering does not mean we've messed up as followers of Jesus. Suffering means we're doing the right thing. If we, if we are following Jesus, we will suffer. Think about Mary. It's Christmas time. Let's think about Mary for a second. When the angel of the Lord, when God came to Mary and invited her to be the mother of the Savior, what was he inviting her to do? He was inviting her to suffer. To suffer. I've never been pregnant myself. I understand it's quite an ordeal. I've been present for two births. Mary was a young woman giving birth to her first child. She had no no reduction of her suffering through medication or through spinal taps. Joseph was there. This wasn't a silent night, folks. This was a night of suffering for Mary. And that wasn't the end of Mary's suffering. As she followed her son's ministry and began to be concerned that he'd gone off the rails and she went to get him and bring him back on the rails and, and he wouldn't even speak to her at that point. He left her outside in the crowd and when they told him, your mom is here to talk to you, he said, who's my mother? Those who will do the will of my father are my mother and my sister and my brothers. And then Mary, Mary, Jesus' mother, who'd been invited into that role by God, while, while most of his 12 disciples ran and hid in fear, Mary followed Jesus through the flogging, through the suffering, through the pain, through the crucifixion. Following Jesus for Mary meant suffering. And it means the same for us. Now you might be saying, what about the blessing? I thought following Jesus was supposed to be a blessing. It is, it is, and we're gonna get to some of that, but the blessing and the suffering are not mutually exclusive. Now here's a, a truth that, that no one out there needs me to tell you, but I'm gonna say it anyway, that, that music often can convey and proclaim the gospel truth in a far more beautiful, powerful, and efficient way than, uh, than just speaking. And so I, and a few years ago, uh, Laura Story uh, wrote and released a song called Blessings. I've asked Leah Bracey to sing that for us today. She's being accompanied by Robbie. And uh, uh, hear this as, as the truth in our suffering as followers of Jesus. Prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand 
to ease our suffering and all the while you hear he spoke in me and love is way too much to give us lesser things cause what if your blessings come through raindrops what if your healing comes through tears what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near We doubt your goodness, we doubt your love As if every promise from your word is not enough And all the while you hear each desperate plea Thank you, Robbie. What if we've had suffering wrong all this time? And what if suffering is the means of receiving the blessing? What if it's the mercy in disguise? 
I mean, anything that reminds us that this world is not our home has to be a good thing, right? So how can there be blessing in suffering? Well, let's go back to that name for Jesus that we're talking about, Emmanuel, God with us. The promise we have in our suffering is that God is with us. Jesus said, you're going to suffer. He also said, I will never, never leave you or forsake you. God is with us in our suffering. And if God is with us, there is blessing. There is blessing. So we're going to look through what some of those blessings might be as we suffer and God is with us. Now, I want to say right up front on this. Actually, it's too late to say it right up front. I'm going to say it right here in the middle. I'm not talking about denying the reality of suffering. I'm not talking about denying the pain of suffering. I used to have a sense that it would, you know, suffering would be kind of, this is an awful image, I'm going to use it anyway. Um, Suffering would be, you know, under following Jesus would kind of be like, you know, if you're following Jesus, it's like taking PCP. You know, people on PCP, they can put their fist through a windshield. They've got all of the strength and endurance and they don't feel any of the pain. That's not what Jesus is talking about. You'll feel all of the pain and the pain is real. And, and denying it or wishing it away or always being, you know, too blessed to be stressed, happy, happy, joy, joy, that's not what we're talking about. Jesus was sweating drops of blood on his knees, face down in the Garden of Eden, suffering. We will suffer, and the pain is real. And denying it doesn't make the pain go away. It just represses it. And then you become someone that no one thinks of as a follower of Jesus when you start doing that. So what is the blessing in the suffering? If God is with us, what is God doing in the middle of the suffering? Now, again, one other disclaimer here. I'm not trying to give the explanation for why everyone is suffering. That's way, way, way beyond my level of wisdom. Um, God knows, uh, as far as I know, God hasn't told anybody else. Job suffered more maybe than any other human being outside of Jesus. And, and, and when, when he went to God and said, why? God's only answer was, I'm with you. He never answered why. So don't hear this as some sort of simplistic explanation of why you're suffering. And please don't hear it as some sort of simplistic explanation of why someone else is suffering. And don't go tell them why they're suffering. Again, you'll become that sort of person that people don't associate with Jesus when you start doing that. But if you hear in this a word from the Spirit that gives you comfort and hope and a measure of peace in your suffering, then receive that as a word from the Spirit. God is with us in our suffering. And what is God doing? One of the things God is doing in our suffering when we suffer is God is with us shaping us in our suffering. God is with us in the suffering, shaping and forming us. I used to tell a story that was wrong. I've done that a lot. Don't be surprised by that. I used to tell this as as a story and attributed it to Michelangelo and the the carving of the statue of Moses or the statue of David. Michelangelo didn't say this. This was something that someone else said in a lot of different ways. One of the first times it appeared in print was actually in the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and it wasn't about uh, the statue of David or Moses. It was about an elephant. And someone asked a sculptor, you know, if you've got a block of marble, how do you make it into an elephant? And he said, it's easy. You just chip away everything that doesn't look like an elephant. In suffering, God is chipping away 
not what doesn't look like an elephant in us, but what doesn't look like Jesus in us. You see, you and I and every other human being was intended to be like Jesus. We were all made in the image of God, and that image has been distorted and misshapen and bent and broken by sin for millennia after millennia and generation after generation, and God wants to restore His image in us, and that means chipping away what isn't like Him, what isn't like Jesus. Paul tells us we need to grow up into the image of Christ. In this passage from Hebrews that Pastor Chip read, it talks repeatedly about discipline. And it might be easy to think of that word discipline as punishment. There is not really, well, that's not really what it's about. It also might be easy to think of it as training, like athletic training or military training. That's really not what it's about. The Greek word was actually the word that encompassed all aspects of child rearing. It was, it was what a good parent did as they were raising their child was, in the English translation, discipline. It was forming and shaping the child into a mature, healthy, well-adjusted, virtuous adult. And that's what God is doing to us. He's forming and shaping us, not into our image of what a healthy adult should be, but into his image, into the image that is himself. God, in our suffering, one of the things God is doing is shaping and forming us. Another thing that God is doing in our suffering, in our suffering, God is instructing us teaching us. Jesus, when he was doing his earthly ministry, people would flock to him. He was doing all of these things. Crowds were coming. People were trying to make him a king. And Jesus, Jesus kept doing all of these things that would drive people away. And it usually had to do with talking about suffering. A group of Greek people came to him as he was coming into Jerusalem, said, we want to be followers of Jesus. And Jesus said, really? Are you sure? Because I got to tell you something, foxes have holes to sleep in, birds have nests to sleep in, I got nowhere to lay my head. Jesus was a homeless man, and Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be homeless too, you're going to be sleeping on the ground under the stars, you're going to be suffering. The suffering was enough that Peter at one point said to him, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. Hear that. That wasn't hyperbole. They left their livelihoods. They left their families. They left respectability. They left their reputation behind. They left income behind. And Jesus said, yeah, but you'll get it all back and more in the kingdom that's coming. But there was suffering. And that suffering that Jesus walked with his disciples through when they could see him was instructing them so that later when they were proclaiming the good news of salvation through the name of Jesus and they got flogged for it, they could say with confidence, not, oh man, what did we do wrong that we're getting beaten for this? They could say, yes, yes, we're suffering like Jesus did. Yeah, they went home rejoicing. After a flogging, a lot of people died from those floggings. And they were rejoicing because their suffering early on had been instruction that helped shape them and prepare them for that suffering later on. Some suffering is forming and shaping. Some suffering, God is with us instructing. In some suffering, God is with us correcting. And we got to be honest about that. 
The word that's used in this passage, um, you know, talks about what father doesn't discipline and chastise. That word chastise, in English, we don't like some of the tough things in the scripture, so we soften it when we translate it so we won't feel as bad. It was the word flog. It was the word used when Jesus was beaten before he was crucified. It was chastisement. When the disciples were beaten for proclaiming Jesus, when they were flogged, it was the same word, chastise. And here we hear about it coming from God. No wonder Jesus said things like, blessed are you if you don't take offense because of me. Some suffering is correction. When we cross lines and God says, don't go there. Don't go there. I got to tell you, if you cheated on your spouse and your marriage is falling apart and you are falling on your knees and you feel like you're in the depths of hell right now, it's because of what you did, right? And that suffering that you're experiencing is God's way of saying, don't do this again. When you do these things, you cause pain and suffering for yourself and others. I'm going to let you experience that to help you learn. My, my wife and I had slightly different parenting styles in a lot of different ways. Um, she didn't know I was going to tell this, and until just now, I didn't know I was going to tell it either. So we'll see how much I suffer when I get home. Um, our son James loved to jump. And, and I would let him jump. Amy tried to keep him from jumping. And this was, he was a little guy and he didn't know much. And, 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 and Amy had good reason not to let him jump. He had two emergency room visits because of his jumping. One, he jumped over top of her and did a face plant on a stone hearth. That sent him to a nursery or to an emergency room. Another time he jumped on his bed, head first into his headboard and knocked a tooth out, root and all. That was the coolest thing. I think I still have that tooth. Amy tried to keep him from jumping. I let him jump. Um, we both had our reasons. My thought was, is if he suffers now, he'll learn. He'll learn. Maybe I was a bad dad for that. Amy is far more compassionate than I am, and you can understand that. Suffering is corrective sometimes. God is with us in our suffering, correcting us sometimes. Sometimes God is with us in our suffering, comforting us comforting. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, all of the people that were his followers, they wanted to make him a king. They wanted, they hailed him as the Messiah, the, the, the heir of David, an earthly kingdom. They wanted him to establish that. They tried to make him king. They announced him as king. They hailed him as king. They laid out their version of the red carpet for him as they would for a king. And Jesus, he received the praise, but he didn't come to Jerusalem to be their earthly king. He stood out and looked over the city that night and he said, Jerusalem, you don't know how long I have wanted to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. Comfort and protect you, but you wouldn't have any of it. And Jesus wept for them. Sometimes Jesus and our suffering is comforting, comforting. Sometimes God with us in our suffering is different from all of those things. Sometimes he's just with us. I want to tell you a story about a man that you have no reason to have ever heard from, heard of before. His name is Dosithi. He lived all the way back in the the 500s. Um, And and 
that's a long time ago. Uh, and he, he, he didn't do anything noteworthy. He was, he was a young man, uh, he was a page in the Roman army, he was the favorite of a certain general, we don't know why he was a favorite, but based on his role and, and those kinds of things in that time, it's, it's likely that he was uh, born into a family of wealth, that he was wealthy, that he'd grown up with a life of privilege, he probably had lived a self-indulgent life for much of his life. And he hadn't heard about Jesus, he didn't know about Christianity until one day he heard a little bit about it and it came upon his heart that he wanted to go to Israel and visit some of those sites where Jesus had walked and talked and taught, where he had been born, where he died. We take those kinds of trips as Garfield Memorial Church as well. And Dosethi went when he was on leave. Some of his soldier buddies went with him. And while he was there, he found himself standing in front of a painting and he was totally engrossed that showed all these people in torment and suffering. And he, he just asked aloud, what is this about? And a woman appeared beside him. Boop, she was just there. And she said, those are souls who are being tormented in hell to pay the price for their sins in this life. And Dosis, he said, what do, what do I, he was struck, what do I need to do to avoid that suffering, to escape that suffering? And she said, you need to fast and pray. And then she was gone. And Dosethi took that to heart. And he started fasting and he started praying. And his soldier buddy said, dude, you can't do this as a soldier. This doesn't fit with the lifestyle of a soldier. But he insisted on doing it. So they said, man, if you're going to live like this, you've got to join a monastery. He said, what's a monastery? He didn't know. And they took him to a monastery. He was placed under the mentorship of a man named Dorotheus. And Dorotheus was his, his Abba, was what they called it. His spiritual mentor, his friend in the faith and guide in the faith. And Dosethi was very young when he got there. And he wasn't there for very long, less than five years before, well, before we get to the before, he didn't do, he wasn't a great monk. It just wasn't. He struggled to pray when he was supposed to pray, apparently fell asleep sometimes during prayers. They said in all of his five years in the monastery, he never successfully fasted for an entire day. He just couldn't get it all. The one thing they said he did was that he obeyed everything he was told to do without question, without argument. He sacrificed his pride and his ego And then at one point, less than five years in, he became sick with tuberculosis, which in those days was a fatal thing. And it's a very, there's a lot of suffering that comes along with tuberculosis. And Dorotheus was a wise Abba, and he understood that in this suffering that the enemy, Satan, would try to push Dosethi away from God. He would try to use the suffering to get him to abandon his faith in God and this way of living that he had chosen. And so Dorotheus, as a good Abba, reminded Dosethi of the importance of staying connected with God in prayer. And he asked him, when he was already ill, Dorotheus used to say to him, Dosethi, pay attention to your prayer and don't let it escape you. And Dosethi would reply, yes, Abba, but you pray for me too. When his illness seemed to be getting worse, Dorotheus Dorotheus asked, and now, Dosethi, how is your prayer going? Are you keeping up? And Dosethi said, yes, Abba, thanks to your prayers. And later, when he was so bad, 
he had to be carried on a stretcher, Dorotheus asked him, how is your prayer now, Dosithi? And Dosithi answered, pardon me, Abba. I no longer have the strength to keep it going. Dorotheus said to him, never mind. Leave your prayer for now. Just remember God and think that he is there at your side. I love this image because sometimes in prayer or sometimes in our suffering, God is just with us. Just with us. He doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't abandon us. He's just with us. Now, that's so closely connected to the final thing that I want to talk about that God is doing in our suffering sometimes, which is redeeming us. You see, Jesus is with us in our suffering. Jesus, earthly kings, when a war happens, when they're trying to expand their territory, when they want to increase their power and their wealth, they take other people and send them to war to suffer and die so they can expand their tower, power and their territory. That's how governments have operated for like ever. But Jesus, our king, he came and suffered and died for us. And when Jesus was hanging on that cross, dying for you and dying for me and dying for Dosothy and so many others, there was a criminal hanging there beside him, someone who had been rightly convicted of a crime. And he was dying and he turned to Jesus and he cried out to him and he said, Son of God, have mercy on me, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to that man, today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because Jesus in that man's suffering was with him redeeming. Redeeming. So if those are things that God is doing with us while he's with us in our suffering, then what do we need to be doing? while we're suffering. I got two minutes. I'm going to give you two things. First of all, again, it's not about denying the suffering. Let the suffering move you. Let it touch you. Let it, let it break you and chip away and form you and shape you and educate you and correct you. Let it do all of those things. But don't let it push you away from God. Don't let it move you away from God. Let suffering move you toward God in faith. I have friends, dear friends. I was with them at a time of great suffering. They had a daughter who was the same age as my daughter. And as a child, she was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. And she suffered greatly. And they prayed and we prayed and they gathered pastors and churches and prayer warriors and anyone and everyone that would and they prayed. They also got her every medical treatment that was possible and they prayed and she suffered and she died. Counselors will tell you and research shows that the death of a child often leads to the divorce of the parents. But Nathan and Brenda not only drew closer and moved closer to each other in suffering, they moved closer to God in their suffering. Nathan became a 
part-time pastor in addition to his full-time job as a contractor. Let the suffering move you toward God and let it move you toward others in compassion. You know, other people are suffering too. That doesn't minimize yours. Your suffering is real. But as you suffer, pray that God would open your eyes to see the suffering of others around you. That as you go through it, understand that they're going through it too. So that when they act out of their hurt and their brokenness and their pain and they do something to hurt you, you can have compassion on them and understand that it's not them, it's the sin in them. And reach out in love and compassion. It's one of the reasons we're doing the uh, South Euclid Lindhurst Ark Relief Fund. The Kids Can Thrive Ark Relief Fund so that we can reach out to others in compassion. We're going to talk more about that in the homework for this week's homework for Church at Home. I'll let Pastor Chip tell you about that in just a minute. I want to close by going back to Dosothy. Dosothy was at the monastery for a very short time. There were men who had been there for years before him and would be there for years after him. And, and as Dosothy was approaching death, one of the great elders of that monastery pronounced a blessing upon him that some of the other brothers there were really irritated by and jealous of because they were broken human beings like every other human being. And they complained about that. And they said, how does this young guy who can't even follow the monastic order that well, how does he get this amazing blessing? What about us? Dosothy died. And years after that, a stranger visited the monastery. And and while he was in the chapel there praying, he prayed and he asked to be given a vision of the, the great elders of that monastery that had already gone on to heaven, that he might be encouraged by them. And he saw before him, God granted his request, he saw before him this, this range of old men who had died in that monastery resisting sin. And there was young, one young man among them And the stranger was so struck by that. It was such an unusual thing. He had prayed to see the old men, but he still saw this young man. And he he spoke about it to the brothers afterwards. He said, there was this young man there. And they said, well, tell us what he looked like. And he described the young man. And they said, ah, that was Dosothy. That was Dosothy. You see, Dosothy had become what the writer of Hebrews had talked about. He had joined that cloud of witnesses that has suffered and sees us in our suffering and wants us to do as they did to fix our eyes on Jesus so that our suffering would make us more and more like him. So as you suffer following Jesus, don't let it separate you from God. Let it move you to God and move you in compassion to others. In Jesus' name, amen.